Blog Talk Radio. party. The lovely intro music you just heard is from Tara's theme, the haunting background music to that classic film. You know, I think it's one of the best movie themes ever written. Gone with the Wind was released in 1939, and it received 10 Oscars. It's been screened millions of times throughout the world, and fans of this beloved epic who are called Wendy's continue to celebrate the movie with various Oh, conventions and, and fan clubs. And happily today, we have our favorite guest, James Colt Harrison, who is a film historian and classic film guide founder and film critic, Diana Sanger, are both here to join in our special Blog Talk Radio festivities. Plus, if we're lucky, Turner Classic Movies host, Robert Osborne, has been invited to call in and... Uh, Please keep your fingers crossed about that. And we'll also hear a clip from Cammie King Conlon's terrific interview about playing Rhett and Scarlett's darling but doomed little daughter, Bonnie Blue Butler. But first, I have to apologize to our listeners who wanted to uh, join the chat room. Um, we are uh, experiencing some technical difficulties, and the chat room isn't uh, open. And I thank all of you for your uh, patience. We hope to have that uh, fixed by our next show. Now, it's my great pleasure to bring on Diana Sanger from Classic Movie Guide, Review Express, and uh, probably someone who enjoys Gone with the Wind almost as much as I do because of the romance in it, because she is a, an award-winning author of a sizzling romance novel, which I hope she'll tell you the name of. Diana, uh, tell us the name of your uh, wonderful sizzling novel that uh, is a, an award-winning work. <laughs> Thank you, Betty Jo. It's called Deadline Romance. Yeah. And it's available on all the Amazons and Barnes and & Noble and stuff like that. But, yes, um, and I agree with you about that opening theme. 
every time you hear it, even though you know exactly what film it is, you just get this like little thrill going through you. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I do, I do, and that's why I'm so glad that we we were able to to play a little bit of it. We'll we'll also use it for our outro music too. Now, uh, do you agree with me too that uh, Gone with the Wind has one of the most uh, fascinating romances uh, on film? Absolutely, because it's got drama. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's got the push and the pull, and Vivian mm-hmm. Lee and uh, and. Uh, that wonderful performance by uh, Clark Gable. Uh, where, when did you first see Gone with the Wind, and what was your reaction at the time? I was. Uh, it was in 1953 in Oklahoma, and my aunt took me to see it. I was seven, and you know I hadn't been in, been in big theaters. I don't think too much at that age, and um, I liked it. Although that scene with all the bodies kind of bothered me. Um, but since then, I've seen it numerous times and just love it. Oh, I the same here. And I, uh, we're we're almost forgetting that we have another favorite guest with us, and it's our film historian James Colt Harrison. James, when did hey. you first see Gone with the Wind, and what were your thoughts at the time? <laughs> well, well, actually, I wanted to correct something. Diane is actually lying when she first saw it because she was at the premiere in 1939, and that's when she first saw it. But I came along many, many years later, probably, probably oldest, uh, maybe in the early 50s. Yeah, I think so. Oh, I have an interesting thing about the theme song, however. And that yes. is when I was a, when I was a little boy. Uh, our uh, television channel here, Channel Eight, was first going on the air, and they used to use that theme music for their uh, uh, sign-off. And I always remember that, and I I never knew where that mu- music came from until I saw the movie. Well, how did you like the movie the first time you saw it? Uh, well, I loved it. Uh, you know, it was a very exciting. It was a you know great big production and Technicolor, and I was so dazzled by that. I mean, that was the the great achievement then was Technicolor, not all this 3D and whiz bang wide screens and everything. But uh, it was just a dazzling production. I felt exactly the same way about it. Uh, probably the second time I saw it because, like Diana. Well, I was younger than she was when I when I saw it. I probably saw the original. I wasn't at the at the premiere. <laughs> I have to admit that I did miss that. But um, I wasn't all into the to the romance, and uh, I did like I did like the, the color. And I uh, I really sat up and took notice of the uh, burning of uh, Atlanta. That you know kept me on the edge of my seat, but I but it was a little long for a, a young youngster then. Um, oh, yeah. And so, but when I saw it, when I could finally appreciate it, I thought, oh wow, this I mean it's really something. And in the meantime, I read that book by Margaret Mitchell. I just kind of devoured it, you know, just uh, just loved it. So uh, so I have very very fond memories of. Gone with the Wind, uh, I say, the second time that I saw it. Why do you think, James, since you have the floor now, what, uh, why do you think Gone with the Wind has remained popular for so long, 70, 75 years, for gosh sakes? Oh, gosh, I think uh, 
Part of it's the glamour. Uh, you know, pictures in those days were very glamorous, and they had beautiful stars. The men were handsome. The women were beautiful. They always dressed them to a T. We miss that in today's movies. but uh, And also, I think, because of the unrequited uh, love that uh, uh, Scarlett had for Ashley, you know, it was a hopeless thing for her. And just, you know, the romance. I mean, Diane knows better about this than I do because she writes about romance. and she's Exactly. Hot. I know she does. That's why we're going to ask her about what she liked, the, why she thought Gone with the Wind has remained popular for so long. Is it that romance, Diana? Well, that's part of it. I mean, it was a, it was an epic romance, but there was, I think, a lot of things. You know, um, Margaret Mitchell had won the Pulitzer Prize for her novel, so... That was always like a plus, I think, for people to see it. Um, you know, it won 10 Academy Awards, and and it was troubled when I said drama. I mean, there was so much drama behind making that thing. You know, it was delayed for two years and looking for Clark Gable, and and uh, they had to interview 1,400 women for that part, and then yeah. George Cooker, the director, was fired, and then Victor Fleming was fired, and Sonny Sam Wood was on there, and... <laughs> I, I don't think anybody ever thought it would ever come out, you know, and then finally it did. <laughs> I I know, and they I think they did it right. I was looking uh, on uh, Internet Movie Database, and um, I was looking at, at the Oscars that it that it won, and of course it won Best Picture in a year when uh, probably some of the best pictures were ever made, 1939, and, of course, Best Actress for Vivian Lee, Best Supporting Actress for Hattie McDaniel, Best Director for Victor Fleming, it won Best Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Editing, and um, I was surprised to see that the uh, original score that Max Steiner did, uh, well, it did get nominated, but it didn't win. And it won a, uh, received a couple of special Oscars, Technical Achievement Award, and uh, an honorary award for Outstanding Achievement in uh, in Color. But um, and it, it did well too at the box office. I I was checking on that also. And um, if you adjust for uh, ticket prices, it's it's still the you know that it's it's earned the most the most. Money, I think Star Wars, uh, the first Star Wars, is the sec is the second, and um, so it's still probably one of the most popular movies of all of all time. Well, I uh, would like to talk about some of the scenes that you especially enjoyed. Do you have a favorite scene or scenes, James? Uh, well, I have. I have one that I thought was quite funny, and that was when they were trying to squeeze. Vivian Lee into her corset, and I thought it was just a very funny scene of them pushing on her and pulling and squeezing her in, and her, her waist was about 10 inches wide anyway, so I don't know what they were trying to squeeze in there, but I just thought that was hilarious. That was my favorite scene. <laughs> That's a, that's a good one. I did enjoy that one too. I was glad that I I lived at a time when you didn't have to have to do those kind of things. But you know my my favorites were were the scenes that um, between Rhett Butler and uh, 
and the little girl, the little five-year-old girl that played uh, their daughter. And by the way, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Cammy King Conlon, who played uh, Bonnie Blue Butler, visited Movie Addict headquarters four years ago to discuss a uh, memoir that she had just published. And it was uh, the clip was edited by Danny Dyer. It runs for a little over 15 minutes, and we'll hear former co-host Jazz Shaw, Nikki Starr, and me engaged in a very lively discussion with Cammy. Then after the tape, Diana and James, don't go away. We'll come back and we'll talk more about Gone with the Wind. Jazz, why did okay. you start the, the ball rolling with our first uh, questions for Cammy? Uh, absolutely. Cammy, uh, it was already mentioned that you were five years old at the time. And I know the process in Hollywood has evolved over the years for things like casting, but how did you come to be cast in the role of Bonnie Blue Butler? How did you get that part? Did you already know people there, or was there a casting audition process, or how did that work? It was. It was, The auditions were published um, in the paper, some, I think the regular paper, um, and my mother took me to the studio and I think there were just two other little girls. I have just this one flash memory of being we're in a room and right three they're of us were all dressed in long, you know, costumes sort of thing. Um, somewhere there's my audition, I think down in the archives of the Selznick Archives at the University of Texas. I once had it, you know, a couple of pages of, of although I couldn't read, you know, Mother would have taught me the lines and I would have said them. So that's how I got the part. Uh, what I mention in the book is that in 1939, Los Angeles was a, a, a company town. The movies were the industry. This, mm-hmm. was, before, this was before World War II. Oh, sure. Aircraft. Yeah. So, you know, every everything was kind of doable. It was a smaller city, and it, it just didn't seem that big a deal to go out to a studio. Hmm. Wow. And when, and when you got there, was... Was there any preparation? Can you walk us through that a little bit? Or did they pretty much just throw you onto the set and, you know, here's the lines you have to say, go? Or was there some sort of a training well, and rehearsal period? How, how, it, how it worked, Mother brought me to the set every day, and um, she did my hair. Uh, I don't know how Selznick got around the unions with this, but he said he didn't want me to have corkscrew curls, so Mother did my curls and if you look at the movie closely, I've stick straight hair. You can see the curls coming out. But anyway, as she was to, as she was doing the curls, she'd teach me my lines for the day, and then I'd go out and I I don't remember this process, but I assume Mr. Fleming, you know, said move here, move. All I knew at five was I was just doing what people told me to do. You know, I had no concept. I was in a movie. I thought I was oh, just doing. You know, I just thought I I didn't think about it. Did they make you do it over and over again? I'm I'm curious. Were, were there a lot of takes? Do you recall that, or was it mostly my just mother, they, you did the line and they were told done? My mother told me. My mother told me one thing. She said there was one scene, and I can't tell you which one, where they were doing a lot of takes, and uh, Clark Gable said, "Come on, fellows, let's wrap this up. The baby's tired." Oh, oh. <laughs> so, that, that is kind, so. That's the kind of guy he was, according to her. That was so cute, and and uh, did well. You did have to learn how to ride a horse, didn't you? They taught. Yes, the studio sent me to a stable 
um, in West Los Angeles uh, about a month before the sh- that I started filming. I could ride, uh, they taught me side saddle and English, and even I w- could ride a circus pony, bareback. Wow, like five Yeah, that was old. the best part of the movie, of course. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, you, you mentioned Victor Fleming, and I enjoyed so much uh, some of the things that you put in your book about him. Uh, especially memorable is what he did with you when you forgot your lines. Can, yeah. can you tell? If, I, I don't want us to give everything away from the book, but but can you fill us in a little bit about what he said to you well, when you my forgot your lines? T- yeah, my mother told me later that that morning when she was doing my hair, I just wasn't being paying attention or being kind of bratty or whatever. So we got on the set, and I, again, can't tell you which scene this was, but I fluffed my lines. I didn't know them. And I just remember being very ashamed. That was just shame. You know, I knew that much. So a flash image, and Mother said what happened was Victor Fleming came over to where I was and knelt down so that we were eye level, and uh, he said, Cammie, you know, I have a little girl your age. And he did, Victoria Fleming, and I went to school with her for a year. Right. So he said, I have a daughter here. And he said, the reason I come to the studio and work hard every day is so I can take care of my little girl. And, Cammie, do you see all the men here around the crew? Yes, Mr. Fleming. Well, they all have little boys and girls, too, and that's why they come and work. And, Cammy, when you don't know your lines, we can't take care of our children. Oh. I mean, God, that would destroy <laughs> you for life. Oh, well, that was almost as bad as uh, the story is about when Margaret uh, O'Brien was in a, in a movie and she was supposed to cry. Oh. Have you heard this story? And the, I can't the remember direct- what they told <laughs> They told her that her dog had died <laughs> to get her to have the real tears. So, so Victor Fleming was a little more sophisticated. Yeah, well, than, I, than I got it. I was so ashamed. I, I remember that. I knew what I'd done was wrong, and I never forgot my lines again. Well, what a what an interesting director he was. I I can't believe that he did in that same year, Wizard the Wizard of Oz also. Isn't 1939. That Isn't that what a year for movies! My yes. gosh, I was trying to remember um, some of them. Now, of course, I was very, very young then, like like you were. But there were films like Stagecoach, Wuthering Heights, Gunga Din, Nanochka, Love Affair, and then wow. of course Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, all in 1939. And a lot of film buffs think that that is the greatest year of all. I've heard that over Hollywood. and over again. Yeah, I think it's interesting that this year the Academy decided to nominate ten films for Best Picture because that's what it was in '39. Ten. That's films. right. Yeah. yeah. However, I think we're, we'll find it hard to pick uh, ten films <laughs> that were yes. as great as the ten films in And It's going to be a very long program. <laughs> <laughs> it is going to be. Well, Cammie, what do you remember being the most fun about making uh, Gone with the Wind, about your part in the Gone pony, with the Wind? The pony. The pony. <laughs> yes. 
And, well, yes, like every little girl wants her own pony. I mean, it just made me feel so important. And I loved it, and I loved riding. It was wonderful. Oh, and and did you get to keep that pony? Oh, gosh, no. 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 And I wished I'd kept up my riding lessons, my equestrian ship, but we were living in the city, and and it wasn't easy to, to get out to a stable, you know, to keep that up, so I didn't. Well, it but you you did have a scare though about the pony when you were making the the movie, didn't you? The uh, oh, they brought in another pony. I think well, I remember. Yeah, we want to tell everything, huh? Well, not oh, everything. We can leave that. We okay. can leave out whatever you would like okay, to leave. Okay. Well, the pony apparently the pony forgot his her his lines. I don't know. He was <laughs> acting up. He was doing something he wasn't supposed to do, and the trainer came and took him away. Um, her, actually, her. I don't know why I called her Polly. Um, and so I didn't know that the horse had a stand-in. So lo and oh. behold, they bring another little black Shetland pony out, and that's what I'm supposed to do the scene with. And I can now can hear my pony in the stables, which is right off the set, whinnying and kicking. And, <laughs> and I don't like this, you know, stand-in. And I start to cry. Oh, and dear. so they just have to shut down the set for that day. Oh, so so you had you had that and um and then did it take very long for you to understand what was going on or did you just I uh, you know I think all of this later was explained to me or talked about we didn't talk about it much I mean there's a lot of things I could have asked mother that I never did because I didn't go on into the show business it wasn't part of my life and. You know, it just sort of lay there. It just sort of was there. Now I wish I'd known more, as I said. Well, sure, but but you you did a, a remarkable job of actually doing some research too about uh, what happened at the studio there and getting some of the the uh, archives and that kind of thing, which really yes. added a lot yes. added a lot to the book. Yes. Isn't, the book isn't it wonderful to, to, for me? It's just so amusing. To think that the uh, David O. Selznick archive is down at the University of Texas. I mean, somehow I don't see Selznick being a Texan, you know? No. <laughs> I don't see him sitting down with George W. for You know, I don't know. But I asked his son, Danny, how that happened, and he said many universities and, and um, institutes bid on the archive. Of course, would love to have it. But the University of Texas was the only one that said, we will um, catalog it and make it available to the public, you know, which is an well, enormous job. I mean, and so if you write them, they, they are immediate and helpful, and it's just wonderful. Well, it's it's good that they're doing that so that so that we can have some way to get all of this information. I I think I should check with Nikki now to see if there are any questions or comments from the chat or any callers. Um, I I think John P. McCarthy was planning on calling in, and I'm not sure if any of the numbers here are his. Nikki, uh, what do you have for us? Hi, no, the, he hasn't called in yet, but the chat room is just very happy that she is here. 
Good. And and George, she that's actually um, Jazz's wife. She said the book was charming, and she just loved it. So. That was sweet. And I hope everybody's and, getting into the chat, by the way, because I have been unable to do so today. So I'm not in there with you because I'm having technical difficulties. Yeah, Plus, we I got do have off the air in the middle of the interview. So. Yep. <laughs> oh. So we had technical problems um, every. Yeah. Well, Gremlin, I do have a quick question. Yes. Is that right? Sure. I was just wondering, how come you didn't stay in show business? Yes. um, I think I I think I liked it well enough, and right after um, that, Gone with the Wind, I did the voice for the young Feline in Bambi. Mm -hmm. Although Feline wasn't released till a couple years later, it was it was uh, the end of '39 or '40 when I did that, and then I did um, try out for another part, and I sort of remember it was going to be Men in White. It was an MGM film, and I came down with the chicken pox. Oh, and my bummer. mother! My mother and dad's um, marriage was breaking up, and. She decided that she was going to be the breadwinner and not me. She didn't want. She wanted me to have a normal childhood, oh. and I God, I bless her for that because I had a wonderful childhood. Mm-hmm. So good um, for her. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and she just—it was too much, you know, too hard. And she did even on the Gone with the Wind set. She uh, would kind of scold the crew because they loved to spoil me. <laughs> You know, because you were I the love, most precious of course, thing ever. Being, oh, you know, a little girl loves being spoiled and got presents. I remember oh, they gave me a tea set, and Mother said that it was uh, too grown up for me, and she would give it to my sister, which she did, and I took exception to that. But you know, we I just, guess. Had, just had our little minor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you got a pony out of the deal for a little while, so that's always a plus. <laughs> that's you know, true. That's, that's true. I, yeah, I got. Well, I there are we, two, I, more, two more questions right quick in the chat yes. room that shouldn't take yes. her very long. Um, yes. I loved when she talked about having to wear the mask, okay, oh, and that yeah. even when they put it on her face, she had little tears on there. Yes. And then the other, if she wants to talk about how they, how she fell off the horse and the mask part, and then what does she remember about Clark Gable, which I know I loved. I don't want to blow the story, but... Um, her memories of Clark Gable, and then about the mask and her falling off the horse. Those are the two other questions sure. in the chat. Sure. How the how the horse, um, the jumping in the fence and everything worked, uh, I could ride uh, very well because they taught me, and I could jump, but they did not let me jump. Oh. So I rode, and then they put my stand in, on the horse and the and he did the jump. My stand-in was a little man, and then they laid me back on the ground uh, to be dead. So and it was all edited, so it looked like one fluid uh, motion: the riding, jumping, falling, and uh, Gable coming to pick me up. And I have some black and white stills, and you very clearly can see there's a line under my neck where the mask is and then the more i think about it was that on me for that scene or was it just a dummy he picked up you know oh yeah so i never don't know that 
Well, that's interesting. I I was um, wondering about that too when I was reading reading your memoir. Uh, you sure can't tell from the the picture that's included in the book oh, whether too it bad. is yeah too yeah bad. whether it is you or yeah but yeah. But that uh, was something that none of us would have known, you know, that there was No, that, no. I've I've <laughs> done a lot I've done a lot of events with the two guys who both played Bo. Uh there's Mickey Kuhn who was seven year old Bo and went on to have a great acting career. And Patrick Curtis who was infant Bo. And we have a lot of fun together and we've done a lot of stuff together. So when I mentioned this mask thing at one of my talks I said, you know, I just wonder why, why they didn't just use a dummy. And the two guys chimed up, they did. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, well, you yeah. can take that a couple of ways, so we might want to take it the nicer exactly. way. Exactly. That's right. Well, I, I took it the way they meant it, yes. Nick, well, the I... other question was a really good one that I think a, a lot of us would like to hear, even though you were five years old at the time. What what memories remain from you? What impressions of Clark Gable? Because he was just such an iconic figure. And, and, and what... What do you recall of, of spending time with him? I wish, of course, that I recalled more. And, and uh, um, I, I felt like I was with a, a daddy, a nice, a nice daddy. That's exactly mm. how it was. He, he treated me like he would a little girl, his own little girl, you know. Uh, it was as comfortable as being with my, my own dad or, or an uncle. So um, he was just, he was a genuine guy, you know. Mother said he was the sort of man that all the men on the crew just thought was a great guy. And, of course, the women were swooning to death, you know. And um, so that's that's my memory. I wish I, wish I had more, of course. Well, he's, I was uh, really uh, taken with a, with a comment that you included in your book, uh, from an, an interview, I think that Clark Gable gave about working with you on uh, Gone with the Wind, he says that he thinks that he did his best acting. Oh yeah, with you. That is what a wonderful thing for him to say, and I think he was right <laughs> about me. <laughs> oh yes, I still think Clark Gable was right about that. You know, I I know that Tammy was so happy about what Gable said about her. And listeners, if you want to hear her complete interview, just check the archives for the episode titled Rhett and Scarlet's Baby. And her um, book is still available uh, on Amazon.com. It was such a treat to talk with her before she passed away. I believe she was one of the few living Gone with the Wind uh, cast members. James, as a film historian, do you know if there are any other if there are any Gone with the Wind cast members still living? I don't believe there are. I think they're all gone, uh, quite a few, <laughs> including Thomas Mitchell and Butterfly McQueen and Victor George Rees. I mean, the whole, it's a huge cast, but I think Olivia de Havilland, is she still alive? Olivia oh, de Havilland. Oh, yes, I, for, I forgot I believe, about Yeah, I believe Olivia's the only one left and she's well into her almost a hundred i think you're i think you're right about that well uh we were raving a lot about uh clark gable and uh but i was wondering if uh, who you think 
gave the best performances in Gone with the Wind, James. <laughs> well, uh, leave it to me. I'll pick somebody unusual, and I think it's Butterfly McQueen. Oh, my gosh. Chrissy. You think she was better than Hattie McDaniel, who won the Oscar? Uh well, it was it was a totally different kind of a part, but uh, I thought Hattie McDaniel was absolutely wonderful, and of course she was the first African American actress to win an Oscar. But I thought Butterfly McQueen was great in her little part because she was she stood out so much with her little squeaky voice and her mannerisms, and I don't know nothing about birth and babies. <laughs> Her famous that line. line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's one of that's one of the famous lines. Uh, Gone with yeah. the Wind had a, a lot of lines. But Diana, who would you single out as giving the best uh, performances in Gone with the Wind? Um, let's see. I, I think Olivia was great as Melanie, and I liked Hattie McDaniel. Um, of course, Clark. I mean, who could have replaced him? Yeah, who is perfect for the part? Absolutely. But you know, they they all did great. I think you're right about that. Um, but I'd have to go with Vivian uh, Lee because I, I just when I was reading Gone with the Wind, I just imagined somebody like her. It was kind of like when I was reading uh, the. Um, Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter book. I was so worried about it being a movie, and then it was just like I imagined it would be. And Vivian was just like I imagined uh, Scarlett O'Hara to be. So I thought she was just so spunky and uh, somebody that, even though she was was not perfect, uh, you certainly wanted things to turn out right for her. And uh, But it's hard to pick. Uh, it's interesting to me that uh, Clark Gable didn't like this movie and didn't even want the role of uh, Rip Butler at all. It was kind of some arrangement he he got into with uh, with the powers that be, so he would have a bonus of, for some money that would get him out of his marriage so that he could marry Carol Lombard. James, have you heard anything about that rumor? Not about that particular one, no. Uh, I know they... Uh, Salznick tried for several years to get uh, Gable, who was under contract to MGM, to get him uh, uh, Louis B. Mayer to loan him out, and it took a lot of work to get him. But they they worked out a business deal, and that's how he finally uh, got into the movie. Yes, and he he actually uh, thought that uh, this would be a flop because he was. Uh, he was in a costume or a period piece, I guess, a couple of years before that called Parnell, and it was a flop. And he didn't think he would like, you know, to go in for the <laughs> for the period piece. But he was he was certainly certainly wrong about that. And um, uh, well, this all this behind the scenes information about Gone with the Wind. I, I think it's it's fascinating. Diana, do you have any interesting behind-the-scenes information or anecdotes about Gone with the Wind you'd like to share? Yeah, a couple. And I just looked up uh, Olivia Havilland is still living, and she's 98. Yeah, I knew. Yeah, I knew she was pretty old. Yeah. Wow. She was great. Her. She was great as Melanie. <laughs> she, nobody could have done Melanie 
No, no, she was she was very good in that. Yeah. Well, one thing that I think really stuck out that I had never heard before is that at this time when the film came out, the public both criticized it and praised it for triggering changes to the way African Americans were depicted in film. Yes, that's and, true. And uh, it, it's kind of easy to see that both ways. And, and a funny thing is, one time my husband was on a train in New Orleans, and he happened to be sitting next to, um, oh, God, I just forgot her name, the little one that, you know, I ain't birthing no baby. Who was that? That's Butterfly, Butterfly. McQueen. Butterfly yeah. McQueen. He, he said she sounded just like that in the movie on the train. <laughs> So that wasn't a put on, a put on voice at all. That no, was her, yeah, that was her voice. voice. Yeah, <laughs> it certainly it certainly fit the character. There's no no doubt uh, no doubt about that. Um, and there's a lot of bloopers, you know, about the movie. I mean, one time uh, Melanie goes by a lamp and it has an electric cord, which they didn't have then, and um, <laughs> the street lamps she was running by at one time were electric and. Um, Different things about, you know, where there would be a scene with them with a hat on or a jacket on, and all of a sudden it goes to the opposite person, and when they came back, they didn't have that one on. So the continuity was not too great in, in that film, I guess. I didn't, didn't notice any of that. <laughs> yeah, I know, me either. There was oh a radio God. tower scene in the distance of one scene that was painted with um, uh, alternating red and white blue stuff that wasn't appropriate at that time and just, just all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh my gosh. Well, I thought it was so fascinating too about the way they they went about selecting uh Scarlett O'Hara and all I remember that so so vividly about all the all the Hollywood movie stars that were auditioned or interviewed. Like what did you say 1400? Yes. Yeah, it was quite a few. Yes. Oh my gosh! And I understand. Didn't Lucille, didn't Lucille Ball try out? Lucille I Ball was one of them. Yeah, Tallulah yeah. Bankhead, uh, Betty Davis. I think they interviewed everybody except Marjorie Maine for the part <laughs> of. <laughs> well, that's that's too bad. She might have done a whole new interpretation. <laughs> Scarlett O'Hara. <laughs> that might have been fun, fun to watch. Oh, which reminds me of the parody that Carol Burnett did. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Gone <laughs> with the Wind. <laughs> that was just absolutely hilarious. That's my favorite Carol Burnett uh, episode, where absolutely. she's coming down the stairs in this. <laughs> it's the curse. The dress is carried out. The, Curtain rods. <laughs> I I remember her line. She says, "I saw it in the window and I couldn't resist it." As a, yes. on her dress. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, the one that I couldn't uh, see as uh, Scarlett O'Hara was Tallulah Bankhead. Uh, evidently, she was in the top tier of the actresses that they were uh, thinking about. But uh, I haven't seen her in that many movies. Uh, James, is there anything about Tula, uh, Tallulah Bankhead that you think would have that she would have made a good Scarlett O'Hara? Well, yes, because she was a real Southern belle. She was oh. from the South herself, and she she did have sort of a Southern accent if you listen real closely. Uh, 
but she was so such a caricature of herself. She became, you know, just the laughing stock really of Broadway because she was too campy. And I don't, at that time though, in 1939, she wasn't quite as over the top as she became in later years. But she was a southerner definitely, and she probably would have understood the whole story and everything. Yeah, that, so that explains it. I, I just uh, didn't, couldn't see her in that part. But I thought some of the some of the stars that they interviewed would would be um, appropriate. Why well, I, I thought Susan Hayward because she she's a favorite of mine or was a favorite of mine. I yeah, thought she could she have was done a, a good Scarlett yeah, O'Hara. She, yeah, she was a beauty then too. Young, very young. She was in her twenties. And Paulette Goddard was interviewed, and I thought, but Lana Turner, she was on the list too. I, yes. I don't think that would have worked. No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> well, what about MGM glamorous? Yeah. Well, what about uh, people that they considered other than Clark Gable for Rhett Butler? Diana, do you know anything about um, about that topic? Um, I think Ronald Coleman was a contender, ah. and Gary Cooper. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, Gary Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there weren't too many uh, of the men, I think, because Selznick had always wanted Clark Gable, and reluctantly, you know, he looked for somebody else. But uh, I know Errol Flynn also also was going to try out, and Bette Davis. Refused to said if he got the part, she would not try out for Scarlet. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. She always said he wasn't an actor. <laughs> well, he would have put another spin on it too, because he has oh, kind of have the kind of the tongue-in-cheek sort of adventure, uh, not the real dramatic one like uh, mm-hmm. like Clark Gable. I I, yeah. I did remember reading about Gary Cooper just not liking the whole idea of that part and thinking the whole thing would would flop too. So there were a lot of people thinking this this movie would uh, would flop and <laughs> Gary Cooper would have been a more laid back uh Rhett Butler. I don't think I don't think that would have worked. I don't think he had the uh sex appeal a- animalistic sex appeal that Clark Gable had and I think Clark Gable really was the right choice. Absolutely. Well, guess who Margaret Mitchell wanted to play Rhett Butler? Would either one of oh. you like to take a, take a guess? Uh, <laughs> Don Knox. <Okay. laughs> Not Groucho Marx, no. That was a Not rumor. Not, <laughs> Not Groucho Marx. Tyrone Power. Well, that would, he would have been good. He I think he, the, his stature stature maybe would have would have been a problem, but his acting ability he would have been good. But she wanted Basil Rathbone. <laughs> Basil oh, Rathbone. <laughs> wow. And he went yeah. on, of course, to do to do uh, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> so, well, yeah, you know what? I think, that, yeah. yeah, he might have been. He might have been okay. Uh, he didn't have the the looks that. Uh, Clark Gable had. No. I think it's time now for um, messages from two of our loyal listeners. Hi, comedian Nancy Lombardo here, host of Gum- 
Talk Radio. And when I need my movie fix, you'll know where I'll be found. That's right, every Tuesday at 4 p.m., listening to Betty Jo Tucker on Movie Attic Headquarters Blog Talk Radio. Show me the funny, Betty. Show me the funny. You're listening to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker. She's the real deal in what's happening on film. And if you're not real careful, you might hear the confessions of a movie addict. So get your popcorn and stay right there in your seat for Movie Addict Headquarters. And now back to our feature. much Nancy and Steve for those great promos and dear listeners be sure to check out Nancy's very funny comedy concept show right here on Blog Talk Radio each Monday and Friday morning at 10:30 Eastern Time as well as Steve Mendoza's entertaining shows on Dreamstream Radio and another entertaining show you should check out is the Mom and Pop Shop Radio Show hosted by Mr. Showbiz himself and he's a friend of Diana Sagers and James Cold Harrison, George Bettinger. It also airs on Dreamstream Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And don't forget all the diverse shows on the Wacko Network here on Blog Talk Radio. There are too many of them to mention here, but rest assured there's that we'd like to share with our listeners. Diana, um, any other comments about Gone with the Wind or anecdotes that you'd like to share? Just that you could watch it over and over again and not get tired of it, which I have. <laughs> which you have? Not tired of it? Or what? <laughs> well, you watch the DVD now, but and, and um, I just enjoy it, you know. I feel the same way about it. And uh, how about you, James? Anything else that you'd like to mention about Gone with the Wind? Well, yes. Uh, uh, during one of the, its re-releases, they decided they were going to try to turn it into widescreen. And what happened was they chopped the heads off of Clark Gable and Vivian Lee, and so it didn't really quite work. And that was one of the releases, I think, in the 70s or something. But anyway, they quickly got rid of that one. Well, I'm glad. I mean, we wouldn't like to see it that way, not at all. No. <laughs> not at all. Well, I, I just think it's it's definitely one of the of the greatest movies of all time, and I'm just so happy that, that we were able to get together and uh, pay tribute to 75 years of Gone with the Wind. Now, it doesn't look like our friend Robert Osborne will be calling in, but I'm sure if he were here, he'd want everyone to know that Turner Classic Movies has teamed up with Warner Brothers Home Entertainment, Fathom Events, and the Harry Ransom Center for a multi-tiered Gone with the Wind celebration that includes, number one, a new Blu-ray release, Number two, screenings at over 600 movie theaters. Number three, an exhibit and new book on the making of the film. And number four, a special screening of the movie on Turner Classic Movies. These activities are scheduled for next week and early October. I was checking on the 
on the dates, the um, screenings at theaters, select theaters, uh, will take place on Sunday, September 28th, and um, Wednesday, October 1st. Will you be uh, seeing, um, have you seen the, the schedule for your movies in San Diego? Will there be a big screen showing or showings, Diana? Truthfully, I don't know. I, I get so many emails, I don't know. One might have come across, but I don't. I well, it, it probably know. did, because I know you've seen it a, a lot, but to see it again on the big screen, I think, will be will be a real treat. And that's kind of the way I feel about it, because I've seen it mostly on when for the times that it's shown on you know, on television, and I don't have the dates of the showing on uh, Turner Classic Movies, but if you go to uh, Google and uh, put in Turner Classic Movies, you'll find out when, they're, uh, when these showings will take, will take place. Well, I just um, feel uh, so happy, Diana and James, that you could be here today. You're always such fun and, and so informative. But I think it's time to wrap things up. So thank you so much for being such terrific guests again today. Will you tell our listeners what you're up to in terms of your uh, movie reviewing? And uh, I think we have time for that. Uh, where your movie reviews can, where our listeners can read your movie reviews, Diana, you want to start on that? Well, my movie reviews run on your wonderful site, realtalkreviews.com. <laughs> And on my um, own site, ReviewExpress.com, and in the website of the newspaper that I write for, EastCountyGazette.com. Great. I urge listeners uh, to check out your reviews. And, James, where can we read your reviews? (laughs) Well, actually, I write uh, for Diana's Classic Movies site and uh, San Diego uh, City News and uh, a couple of other specialty sites like uh, Movie Maven is another one. Ooh. And Showbiz Junkies is another one. Oh, So I'm spread very thin. (laughs) Yes, you're busy. You're definitely busy. Well, we love reading your reviews and Diana's reviews, and we love it when both of you are here on Movie Addict Headquarters, you know that you're you're part of our family. But this is Betty Jo Tucker giving a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their wonderful support. Special thanks to Nikki Starr, Chaz Shaw, Danny Dyer, Richard B. Smart, and the late Cammie King-Conlon for their excellent contributions to this episode. And to our chatters, we apologize that we didn't have a live chat today, but we thank the chatters that called in uh, to the previous episode with Cammie uh, Conlon-King. And um, we really appreciate all our listeners. We hope everyone enjoyed the show. Please come back next time when Dragon Dronay and Chuck Skull return for another spirited discussion about special effects wizardry. In the meantime, don't you forget to check out my movie reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. That's all for now, folks. Let's go out listening again 
to Max Steiner's beautiful theme from Gone with the Wind. <laughs> 